So Psalm 146. And Psalm 146 is um, sort of the beginning of a series of psalms on praise. So look at verse 1 and then look at the last verse. They both say, praise the Lord. And that's the same pattern that carries out until the end of the psalm. So 147, 148, 149, 150. All of them start with praise the Lord. All of them end with praise the Lord. This is sort of the beginning of these um, five psalms that are, are all about praise. And so we'll be talking about praise this morning. But follow along with me. I'll read through the psalm. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked, he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, Praise the Lord. Oh, what a wonderful psalm. Um, and this is a psalm of praise. So I think it's necessary that we talk about praise and what praise is and perhaps the nature of praise. And so I'll, I'll talk briefly about that because it's important. But here's something I want you to remember throughout this whole psalm. Throughout everything that I say, remember this. You can only praise God through faith. Okay, that's the whole point of what I want to say this morning. True faith leads to true, true, true praise. You cannot arrive at, at praise without faith. And I want to spend this morning talking about why I'm saying that. Why do I say that you can only praise God through faith? Why do I say that praise is the outpouring of faith? Praise is the consequence of trusting in God. And I want to make some pretty bold statements. Praise without faith is not praise. Say that again. Praise without faith is not praise. Faith without praise cannot be true faith because that's, that's the, the evidence of faith. Is, is the outpouring is, is faith. That, that's how we know that someone is uh, a person who, who has faith in God by the, the praise of God. That's the fruit that the tree brings up. Now those are some bold statements and I want to... Um, tell you why I'm saying all of those things so look look at verse 1 and 2 it says here praise the Lord praise the Lord O my soul I will praise the Lord as long as I live I will sing praises to my God while I have my being now, what does verse 1 and 2 teach us about the nature of praise what, what, what does praise look like what does it consist of what is the nature of it what well, we see there in verse 1 O my soul this is a deep thing this is not some shallow, superficial thing that we say just outwardly. Praise the Lord. Um, praise is something that is deep. It comes from somewhere deep inside. It comes from the soul. 
Not only that, but, but look at verse 2. It says, I'll praise the Lord as long as I live. Praise is a lifelong thing. Praise is not temporary. Praise is not shallow. Praise is forever. Once you start praising the Lord, you praise Him forever. As, as well, I, I want to say about the nature of praise, as He says, I, I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. This is a joyful thing. Right? This is something that springs out of a joy, out of trust in, in God. Not only that, He says, while I have my being. Right? So he, He's going to praise God when His being is, is getting up in the morning. The, the, the psalmist is going to praise God when he's out in battle. The psalmist is going to praise God when he's doing his shopping. The psalmist is going to praise God while he has his being. When does he have his being? All the time. This is in every single area of life. So what is the nature of praise as we are taught here in this psalm? It is deep, it is lasting, and it is everywhere. Right? Do we see that there in that psalm? It is deep, it is lasting, and it is everywhere in the person's life who is praising God. Now, I suppose an easy way to sort of convict all of us is to ask the question, how's your praise going? And if you're anything like me, you know that you need work. And um, my, my exhortation to you, my plea to you this morning, my, my urging you this morning, is I, I don't want to urge you to praise. What I want to urge you to do is to trust. Because then out of that trust, you will praise naturally. If I said, hey, just praise, you might say, okay, I'll, look, I'm not doing well. Let me, let me put it in my calendar. I'll set some reminders. Every single morning at 8 o'clock, I'll remind myself, praise God. And we all know that that, that can be helpful. Those things, those practical helps are actually useful to us sometimes. But if it doesn't come out of a heart that is overflowing with trust for God and faith for Him, then it won't be deep and it won't be lasting and it won't be everywhere. Instead, it will be shallow, superficial, and short-lived. So we must praise God through faith. And so if I said to you, hey, how are you doing with verse 1 and 2? Um, you need to do this better. You, you need to do this well. You know, I'll, I'd be beating you over the head with, with stuff that we already know that you need help with. And I need help with. So this morning, I don't want to beat anyone over the head with, you need to do better in your praise life. What I want to say to you is, we have every reason to trust God. And out of that trust, let the natural consequence happen. Let the natural result happen. Let the natural overflowing occur. Let that result in praise. Let that result in lifting Him up and singing in a deep way, in a lasting way, in some way where that affects every part of your life. Now, um, before we go any further, I want to talk about a, a couple things that get in the way of praise. So, we're given a warning in verse 3 and 4, and then we're given a blessing from verse 5. Um, and I want to talk about those two things. So there are dangers for us that we need to look out for when it comes to praise. Look at verse 3 and 4. Put not your trust in princes. Now, what, what does the psalmist mean by princes? Does he mean, you know, like actual princes in the world? No, no, the, the, the term here, princes, is referring to influential people. Um, they, they may be decent people, they may be terrible people. Um, there is actually a title now that I only became familiar with recently of influencer. Have you ever heard of an influencer? Instagram, 
Facebook, whatever. And, and these people, they get paid to influence people. Like, they, they get endorsed to, to sell products, you know, whether it's makeup or whatever. Maybe some of you guys are looking at that. Or whether it's um, a guy who loves to do barbecues. You know, these people who are influencers, they, they influence people. You know, they might say, hey, buy this product. And then they influence a whole lot of people to buy that product. When it's talking about princes here, it's talking about people like that. But it's also talking about people who may be your mentors. Even, you know, wonderful people that God may use in your life to influence you for your good and for his glory. In fact, um, many of you know Charles Spurgeon, right? Charles Spurgeon was a, was a great and gifted preacher. So, so great of a preacher that they started calling him the Prince of Preachers. Google it. Google Prince of Preachers. See whose name pops up. Charles Spurgeon. This is what it's talking about. Influences. People who have great influence. And Charles Spurgeon has been a great help to me. Um, he may have been a great help to you. By God's grace, God maybe was pleased to use an influencer for your good. But what are we warned to do here? Are we warned not to be influenced by these people? What, what are we warned not to do? Look at what it says in those, in those words in verse 3. Put not your trust in princes. What does that mean? And a son of man in whom there is no salvation. What, what does that mean? It means don't trust these people as your ultimate hope. Don't put these people on a pedestal where you think, if I have this person in my life, I'm going to be fine. You never do that. Don't do that with Charles Spurgeon. In fact, Spurgeon would be mortified if he said, hey, look, if, as long as I get to read Spurgeon books, as long as I hear Spurgeon sermons, I'm going to be fine. But what have we done if, if we do that? We've put our trust in princes. And what, what are we warned here? There is no salvation there. If you think, look, if, 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 if I just move to this company, me and my family are set. If I, if I just have this job, if, if my kids go to this school, or if my kids are homeschooled, if, if you put all of your trust into these things, friends, there is no salvation there. So we're warned then, don't let these things be the place where you put your trust, where you put your hope. Because if you put your trust in these things, your hope in these things, verse 1 and verse 2 in Psalm 146 will never be true of you. It, it won't be true of you. If you say, as long, as long as I have this person in my life, I'm going to be fine. Praise the Lord won't be something that you're going to be saying. It's not going to be something that you're actually backing up with your life, with, in every part of your being. That's not going to be something that's true of you. So we're warned here not to put our trust in him. Why? Look at verse 4. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. You, do you see that there? Influences. People around you, whether they be good influences or bad influences, they're only one breath away from dying. They're only one heartbeat away from being underground. That's all that separates them from this life and the next life. Just one breath. It says here, um, don't, don't put your trust in him. There's no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. It's just one breath away. Just one heartbeat away. Why not put your trust in these influences and princes in this world? Because they're, they're only short-lived. They're only temporary. They can't give you salvation. And it says here, on that very day when they die, their plans perish. They had plans. Everyone dies with plans. Everyone dies with things that, that they had a list of things to do, a, a bucket list, and they only got four out of five, or they only got 
three out of ten on the things on their bucket list done. Everyone dies with things that they want to do. And what happens when they die? Their, their plans are finished. They're never completed. What they set out to do is not completed. So we don't put our trust, our ultimate trust, in these people. Does that come across clear? You see that there? Now, we're given a blessing in verse 5. Look at verse 5 with me. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob. <clears throat> whose help, or whose hope, is in the Lord his God. So we see there the blessing. Don't put your trust in these temporary things. Don't put your trust in influences in this world. Put your trust in who? And the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord of God. So put your, put your hope, put your trust in God. Now, we're about to see a whole lot of reasons why we should trust God. It just goes one after the other. And, and when we read through these, I want you to think, what is God doing in this, in this verse? What is God doing in this sentence? Okay, so that's what we're thinking as we read through. So follow along with me. What is God doing? Who made heaven and earth. See, see you see God is doing stuff, right? He makes heaven and earth um, look at look at verse oh no keep going in verse 6 who keeps faith forever I'll see what he's doing already he's given us two wonderful reasons he created everything he's so powerful that he can make everything not only that but when, when you trust him he keeps faith forever why else should we trust this God um, look at verse 7 who executes justice for the oppressed who gives food to the needy. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. Do you see all of these reasons just stacked one on top of the other, giving us reasons why we should trust God? He's given us a couple of verses on why we shouldn't trust men, and they're just... They're just plain and simple. You don't trust them because they're temporary. You don't trust them because once they die, their plans are frustrated. You don't trust them because there is no salvation there. But here's reasons to trust God. And he just stacks them, one on top of the other. Now, I, I, want, I want us to see how this, what we've just covered, should lead us to Jesus Christ. All right. So I want, I want to show you why this should all lead us to Jesus Christ. Number one, verse one and two, if I said to you, hey, how, how are you doing with this? Um, are you perfect at praising God? Are, are you doing well at, at praising Him as long as you live? Are you doing well at praising Him from the depths of your soul? Are you doing well at praising Him in every single area of your life? If we're honest, we'd say, hey, look, we're, I'm not perfect at this. But who was perfect at this? There's only one person in human history that can say, I will praise the Lord as long as I live and not be arrogant, not be someone who is self-deceived. There's only one person in human history that can say, I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. And that's Jesus Christ. Christ fulfills what the psalmist says in verse 1 and 2. Not only that, but look at verse 3. Who is the only person who has never been caught out doing this? Who is the only person who has never been disappointed because he put his trust 
and hope and humans. Only Christ. We've all been disappointed, haven't we? We've, we've all been led astray, haven't we? We've all put off our hopes and, and trust in, in the wrong places, haven't we, in, in some time? Well, the only one not to do that is Christ. Put not your trust in princes and a son of man in whom there is no salvation. Christ was never caught out doing this. And verse 5, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Do you remember, friends, when Christ was in the garden? And he said, Lord, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. But not my will be done, yours be done. Do you see how deeply he trusted his father? That even though his father was leading him to the cross to be crushed, he said, not my will, but your will. I'm going to trust what you want me to do. So Christ fulfills these first five verses that we've seen. But I want to show you something else. In, in Luke, in chapter 4, Jesus goes to a synagogue. Do you remember? He, he preaches at the synagogue. And he reads from Isaiah 61, from the scroll. And then a lot of people get angry at him after he reads this. This is the reason why. Listen to what he says and see how familiar this sounds to the psalm. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And, and he rolled up the scroll, and all eyes were on him. Everyone in the synagogue was looking at Jesus. And then guess what he said to them? Did I say to you that this has been fulfilled today in your hearing? And they, they were looking for the... They, they, they wanted to get rid of Jesus after that. But do you see how familiar that language sounded? That he was going to set the captives free? That he was going to give sight to the blind? Doesn't that sound like Psalm 46? Isn't he, isn't he in, in Psalm 146 setting the captives free? Isn't he in Psalm 146 giving sight to the blind? Isn't he fulfilling what Isaiah 61 is saying? What Psalm 146 is saying? So these are the things that God is doing. God is... is is labeled as this person who made the heavens and the earth. John 1 3. Nothing was made without Jesus Christ. Everything was made through Jesus Christ. So Jesus not only fulfills all of these verses over here about God, but he shows us in real time, in real space, what it looks like for God to do these things. So Jesus himself fulfills this whole psalm. Jesus himself fulfills all of it. He's the one who gives sight to the blind. He's the one who sets the captives free. He, he's the one who lifts up those who are bowed down. He's the one who loves the righteous. Now, we've seen what, what, what praise is. It's the result of faith. We, we've seen what Jesus is doing, what God is doing in this psalm. Now, where do you fit in? There are two people described in the psalm. One of them, we can summarize, is the one who in verse 8, the Lord loves the righteous. One of them is the righteous. And, and just real simply, in the Psalms, a person who is righteous is not someone who has kept the whole law, who has done all of these wonderful things. A person who is righteous is righteous by faith. And what that means is that they come to Christ through, through faith. They believe that this Christ is, is the one who is stated in all of these verses, who gives, who does, who sets free, um, who gives sight to the blind it's, it's the person who trusts that that is true and they come to him for salvation not to man but to him so the, the righteous person is righteous because they have the righteousness of Christ on them 
Christ gives him gives them the robe of righteousness. That's the righteous person. The righteous person can also be described as, and follow along again from uh, verse 7, the oppressed, the hungry, the prisoner, the blind, the bowed down, and they can be described as the sojourners. We are the ones who are on a journey from here to heaven. Not only that, but we are the, the fatherless and the widow. So the righteous can be described in all of those different ways. This is not sort of seven or eight different people. This is one person described in seven or eight different ways. So it's the righteous person who is the recipient of all of these things that God gives through faith in Christ. So I want you to see that there. And I said there were two people described there. One was the righteous. And look with me at the second part of verse 9. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. There is the righteous and there is the wicked. We've seen what, how we can describe the righteous. as the one who puts their faith in God, in Christ, who has been set free, who has been given sight, who was on their way to home, to heaven. But the righteous, oh, sorry, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Who is the wicked? Well, the wicked is the one who doesn't put his trust in God, who does not set their hope in the God of Jacob. Instead, they set their hope in princes. Perhaps even themselves. Perhaps some people see themselves as princes who say, look, I'm going to do it my way. If, if I don't do it, no one else will. And if it's going to be done properly, it's going to be me that does it. This is a person who has confidence in themselves and puts hope in themselves, who trusts in themselves. Perhaps, perhaps you're your own prince. Or perhaps you look to other princes. If this person gives me a job, if this person looks after me, I'm going to be fine. If I go to this university and get this... Go, go to this company, I'm going to be fine. That's the wicked person. The wicked person here is the one who does not trust in God, but who trusts in princes. Now, after saying all of that, um, I want to say this, and, and we'll finish on this. We see that Christ is the fulfillment of the Son. He's the one in verse 1 and 2 that can say, I will praise him forever. He's the one who actually displays in human history what it looks like for God to do all of these things. Because it's Christ who fulfills it, he fulfilled it, say, in, in 30 AD. The psalm was written a lot earlier than that. Perhaps 700 to 1,000 years before Christ ever said that, the psalmist wrote these things. But Christ says, centuries later, they're now fulfilled. This psalm was written to people, to, to Hebrews, who had not yet seen this realized in their day and time. Because that's true, they were looking forward to something. They did not praise by the experience of this thing happening. They praised by faith that it would happen. Are you catching that there? So, on this side of human history, we see these things being fulfilled in Christ. Now, how did these people praise God when, when they looked at the sun? Not by experience. Not by seeing it actually happen in human history. They praised by faith, by trust, by hope that God would do what he said he would do. That gave them the ability to praise. That was their sort of fountain 
for praise to come up. Now, we're privileged so much on this side of human history that Christ walked the earth, that we could see everything fulfilled in him, that the New Testament, so full and complete, shows us Jesus fulfilling these things. So you have an extra privilege that the people who would have heard the psalm did not have. They had the privilege of trusting God, but they did not have the privilege of experiencing and seeing it in actual human history. You, my friends, have a great privilege today. Christ has done these things. Christ actually came to earth and done these things. He did these things. And so you have the privilege of leaning on history, on leaning on experience when these people didn't. But should you use that as your hope and trust? Should you use that as, as the reason to praise God? No, these people didn't. What you should put your hope in is God himself and that he will do what he said he would do. Yes, we have the privilege of human history looking back and seeing it fulfilled in Christ. But we should be putting our hope in God because he says he will do what he will do. That gives us warrant to sing this psalm on a bad day. That gives us reason on our darkest days and in our darkest nights to sing a psalm of praise and not just a psalm of lament. Because it's not based on your experience. It's not based on how bad your day was that you should praise God. It's based on what God has done and what he will do. It's based on trusting and that he has done things and he will do things. That's why I say, friends, why I said at the start, I, I don't want to beat you over the head and say, praise, praise, praise. What I want to do instead is say, trust, 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 faith, hope, confidence, and God will lead to praise on a bad day and on a good day. But if your trust is not in him, oh, how terrifying is verse 9 at the end. But the way of the wicked, he brings to ruin. Your plans will be frustrated if you are the wicked. And when I say wicked, I mean you are the one who has not been released from your prison of sin. You are the one who has not been set free from your spiritual blindness. You are the one who has not um, been lifted up from being bowed down. If that's you, whatever plans you have, they're going to be brought to ruin. They'll be frustrated. Whatever confidence you have in people, they will let you down. Whatever confidence you have in yourself, you will be disappointed. Put your trust instead in Christ, who is the fulfillment of the Son. Let's pray. Oh dear Lord, we thank you that you give us so many reasons to trust you. You give us every reason to praise you. And Lord, we ask you this morning that you would help every single person here to have their eyes lifted from blindness and give them sight. That they would see with their spiritual eyes that Christ is to be trusted and to have their faith put in him. Oh Lord, would you set free from sin those who are still captive to it so that they might come to Christ. Lord, would you give new hearts to those who do not have hearts to trust in Christ and help us then to trust in him. And Lord, out of this trust, our Lord, would you help us to praise you in our darkest days and Lord, in our best days because our trust is not based on our day. It's based on the Lord. Our praise is not based on what the day threw at us. It's based on what God has given us and what he will do. And so Lord, help us to put our confidence there. 
Help us to trust in Christ and not in ourselves and not in other people, not in the princes of this world, but to set our hope on the God of Jacob. Our Lord, make that true in the lives of every person here. We pray this for Christ's sake. Amen.